it's really been an interesting adjustment for all of us, not knowing how she would take it. And really, you know, there's no handbook out there for this. And that's what's been the most difficult part is I have a lot of, you know, elder trach parents to lean on in this and see how their kids handled it. But every kid handles things so differently that it's hard for us to know how to prepare for these things. Welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud preemie mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are, and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing, and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different, and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's physician for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge. My opinions do not represent that of my employers. On our most recent podcast episode, I continued my conversation with Jessica Wolf. On our last episode, she openly shared details about the complications throughout her twin pregnancy, how they were unsure if either of the girls would make it to viability, when they learned that Autumn no longer had a heartbeat, and the difficult decisions they made after learning about her passing, as well as Lily's delivery, and all of the details from her prolonged and complicated NICU journey. If you have not already listened, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to episode 37, The Wolf Family's Journey Through Loss, A Prolonged NICU Stay, and What They Have Learned Along the Way. Today, Jessica and I discussed what their life was like once they brought Lily home. She explained how they adjusted to caring for her with the tracheostomy and the necessary equipment and how all of that completely changed once COVID hit. We discussed how the plan for Lily's decannulation went completely sideways, how they coped with it, and what Lily eventually needed to have done. Jessica very proudly talks about how Lily is doing today, both developmentally and emotionally, and how they are navigating everything as a family, especially in preparation for sweet Lily to head to preschool. And we conclude with learning more about Nolan, the Wolf family's son, who they welcomed earlier this year, who also spent some time in the NICU. Jessica shares some great information and advice pertinent to other families who are either currently in the NICU and weighing the heavy decision of a tracheostomy for their child, for the families who have a child at home with a trach, as well as families who have suffered or may suffer a loss. Listeners will also be surprised to hear some of the unexpected emotions the Wolf family has had to work through once Lily had her trach removed. And again, you will be so amazed by how strong and resilient Lily and the entire Wolf family is. I really hope you enjoy the episode. NICU moms are a unique group of strong, brave, and proud women. 
It is not necessarily a group that you would choose to join, but once you are a part of it, you become part of a special tribe. To honor and celebrate all of the strong NICU mamas within the NICU community, we created NICU Mama Hats. Our trucker baseball hats are multicolored and adorable. We offer two different color options of either a grayish blue with a teal bill or teal with a mustard bill and a simple leather patch that says NICU Mama. Show your pride for your brave little one and celebrate your personal strength as a NICU Mama with these adorable hats. Or consider purchasing one as a gift for that strong NICU mom you know and adore. Our hats are adjustable, so one size fits all. We ship for free in the United States, plus a portion of the proceeds from each hat sale go into our foundation to help and support current NICU families. Grab your hat now at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash hats. That's empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash H-A-T-S. Or find the link in our show notes. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Finn and Emma, where modern colors, fresh prints, and heirloom quality construction are abundant. All of their garments are made with GOTS certified organic cotton and non-toxic, eco-friendly dyes. The toys are either made with untreated hardwood or hand-knit with organic cotton yarn. Confidently dress your little one in Finn and Emma's Basics collection that features solid colored bodysuits and pants in timeless colors, great for mixing and matching. Or shop their graphics collection to celebrate being the new little brother or find that perfect tee for the new big sister, as well as for those special occasions when your little one is celebrating their first holiday. Finn and Emma also have rockers that are ergonomically designed to soothe your little one or check out the beautiful macrame swing that is handmade by artisans in India and will keep your little one entertained but also look beautiful in your home or yard. They also ensure that their garments and accessories are produced in fair trade settings that focus on social and economic independence for local people, women especially, working to provide for their families in a safe and fair environment. Shop at the company that puts safety and social responsibility on the forefront. Find all of Finn and Emma's products at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash Finn hyphen Emma. That's empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash F-I-N-N hyphen E-M-M-A or find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. So... Once you had her home, how did things go? And I, you'll have to remind me, did, was it just you and Pat or did you guys have nurses that came in? My parents were trach trained in the hospital with us, which was great. So we had the four of us and my parents would come down and stay with us for a week at a time and take night shifts so that Pat and I could sleep. We also recruited, we had um, a little staff of nine of our NICU nurses that came home and would just pick up one or two shifts a week, depending upon what their hospital schedule looked like. So at the height of our pre-COVID nursing, we had five nights and two days covered. And so we were getting a good amount of sleep. We slept well because she was with people that have known her from birth and we trusted and had 
amazing nursing skills and amazing trach specific nursing skills. And so that was truly amazing. And then COVID hit. So yeah, Um, we did have one emergency at home in the middle of the night. We had one of her nurses was on and I slept downstairs. Pat was traveling. My mom and I both slept on an air mattress downstairs to be close to where she was in our living room at the time because it was really difficult to get Lily, the concentrator, the ventilator, the suction machine, pull socks, all the stuff that we had on the little rolling cart up the stairs without Pat. So when he was away, she used to just sleep in the living room and we would just kind of camp out. So she was with a nurse in the living room. My mom and I were in another living space that we have on an air mattress and the nurse woke us up. Lily was blue, couldn't figure out why she was, there was nothing to suction. Like she, you know, and you know, you start with the patient and you work your way back. So we checked her trach. We tried to figure it out, checked to make sure the vent was working. And it ended up being that her concentrator was on, it was working, but there was no actual oxygen coming out. And it, you know, it took us a little bit. And I think her recovery took a few hours, right. To get her like back up and oxygenating. My recovery Mm. took like four days. (laughs) It was an experience I'll never forget. Wow. And was there ever a time that, whether it was six months, a year, two years into it, that you were like, okay, we've we've got this. Like, we've got this. Figure it out. When was that? So I guys? think the first time we felt that way was in February of 2020, the month before COVID hit. <laughs> oh, man. I made the schedule for the nurses. And so I had this, like, incredible color-coded, like – This is who's coming when. This is what I'm going to get done during that time. This is, you know, it it was beautiful. (laughs) And then COVID. So we had to make the snap decision to say goodbye to nursing. And then we really were like, oh, my gosh, this is entirely on us. We're going to have to stay up with her every single night, sleep in shifts. How is Pat going to work throughout this? What am I going to do? All day long, I we also stopped her early intervention therapies. We'd switch them to you know telehealth, but they mm-hmm. would provide me with the exercises and things to do with her, and I became OTPT speech DT and her nurse. My and so we started back at the drawing board, and on top of being terrified of like an emergency happening, I was now the primary person to catch her up developmentally. So once that happened, I would say it took about a year. Once we were able to titrate her oxygen down to room air during the day and her ventilator settings were low enough that she could spend a little bit of time off without turning blue, that's when we felt comfortable, I think. Because if something were to happen, we had back up this and back up that. And all we would have to do was transfer things over and it would be fine. And we felt very confident at that point we would be able to manage an illness from home because she had so much room to go up on both oxygen and ventilation. So yeah, I would say it was probably spring of 2021. Was that last okay. year? It was last year. Wow. <laughs> And that was about the time when she started sprinting, I think, too. She started time off the ventilator. Okay. That was my next question is kind of when that started and then when did the discussion start for the whole reconstruction? Oh, so 
<laughs> she was sprinting and off of the vent. It took about four months, I would say, for her to come off the vent during the day. And that was, sorry, let me think about this. Okay, she started walking in the spring of 2020, right after the pandemic started. So she started sprinting the spring of 2021, and it took about four months to come off during the day, and then an additional month or so to come off at night. In that time, she had a sleep study that showed some obstructive sleep apnea, and we just assumed that that was kind of, you know, trach interference being in her neck, or maybe she had tonsils and adenoids that needed to come out. She also grew granulation tissue very quickly. And so, you know, she'd be bronched and they'd remove the granulation tissue. And then, you know, who knows, by the time she had the sleep study, there'd be an obstruction from granuloma. We didn't think much of it. Our pulmonologist didn't think much of it. And we just kind of continued on capping, passive valve, and then capping and, and moving forward. We were scheduled for decannulation a full year before it actually happened because of COVID. So there was a COVID spike mm-hmm. at the same time as our planned admission to decannulate her. And they were not taking elective hospitalizations at that point. So we had to defer it. And by the time we deferred it, that was July of last year. By the time we deferred it, it was cold and flu season. And they don't decannulate during cold and flu season. So we then reevaluated in March of this year. We were admitted for a bronchoscopy. And then the next day, a sleep study and that sleep study would result in, in decannulation. And our ENT during her bronchoscopy took out her trach to just see how she did while she was sedated with her trach out, and her entire stoma collapsed into her trachea, which we had no idea was happening. We were completely unprepared for. You know, every time she had a bronchoscopy, there was no sign of any sort of floppiness of her airway. There were no structural issues. Her trach was holding her trachea open. And so we had Mm. truly no idea. And we were absolutely blindsided that she was going to need a full reconstruction before her trach could come out. And the conjecture is that the longer she was trached, the floppier it made her airway because it was a foreign object pressing down on an open hole and destabilizing the sides of her trachea. And had we decannulated a year before, perhaps it wouldn't have been significant enough to need reconstruction. So just kind of one bad timing thing after another. So we ended up canceling that sleep study. We didn't need it because we knew that she was collapsing. And then we had a series of big studies to make sure she wasn't refluxing because when you reflux, it can damage site of reconstruction. And they did uh, a bunch of other pulmonary tests to make sure that her you know, lungs were ready for decan. And they did a lung wash and they took aspirates of all sorts of different things. So we had a, a ton of testing to do between March and when they scheduled her surgery. Um, that was a month ago, in July. And they took a graft from her rib and closed the hole, uh, the stoma in her neck, and placed stents in her trachea that absorb into her trachea to strengthen it, and took out her trach. And we've had several bronchoscopies since, and everything is healing beautifully. And so she is currently trach-free after four years. 
That is amazing. And I know just from knowing you and just seeing your posts and things that it's been a major roller coaster just in regards to the ups and downs of learning about the decannulization and then when it was going to happen and some of the setbacks and things that have happened. So how is Miss Lily doing now and how you and I, again, on the outside have spoken a little bit about just how she's coping and just some things that I think some people would find surprising with how she's recovering and how she's handling everything. She's doing incredibly well from a medical standpoint. She's super healthy. She's fully vaccinated for COVID and we're we're sending her to preschool because she's she's ready. From a developmental standpoint, she graduated from early intervention before her third birthday. So she was caught up kind of, you know, physically and cognitively and her speech has always been quiet, but her vocabulary and her use of language is outstanding. Um, she she retains information and um, and tells us things that we just amazing. But we're still working on feeding. She's still 100% G-tube fed at this point, but she's really developmentally, she's surprised a lot of people because the amount of medication in her system and the, the clonus and the floppiness and the things that we saw from her while she was in the NICU kind of led us to assume that there were going to be some kind of lifelong developmental delays and she's she's running around and she's talking up a storm and singing and she's she's doing awesome emotionally we are starting to have a little bit of a difficult journey she is hyper aware of all of the medical things that we have to continue to do so we have to continue to have those airway scopes. She has to go under anesthesia for Bronx. We still see quite a few specialists. And every single time we walk through those doors to any kind of you know medical appointment, or sometimes even when we're just driving in town, you know, running errands and we drive by the hospital, we both just kind of brace ourselves for, you know, what we may see or hear or think about or, you know, those those things kind of come flooding back that, you know, all of the the experiences we've had, um, all the PTSD that you know we're carrying with us, both of us. And as uh, we prepared for her decannulation, we had to walk a fine line between really prepping her for you know this what you've known your whole life, this you know piece of of silicone, these these ties around your neck, your necklace, like it's gonna come out and it's gonna be gone. We had to kind of balance that with making sure that it was actually going to happen this time. And we had prepared her for things on so many other occasions that didn't end up happening that it would just kind of cause additional confusion for her and additional worry and anxiety for her. So, you know, we also are very conscious of when we do have a planned, you know, appointment or overnight or stay that we are very, you know, kind of open and and direct and we read books and we talk about it, but we also don't want to do it far enough in advance where she doesn't sleep or she worries for, you know, several days moving forward. So we're really kind of trying to determine what works best for her from an emotional standpoint, how we can best prepare her for these inevitable kind of medical experiences that we're going to have to do, but also, you know, take into account that her anxiety is at a 10. And even, you know, just some days, you know, she falls outside and every other kid's response would be like, ah, I need a Band-Aid. And hers is, don't take me to the hospital. She's living with some some PTSD and, and some trauma that, you know, your typical kid 
hasn't. So that's been difficult. When her trach came out, she was completely sedated for a week. And when she woke up, I think it it took her a couple days to realize that it was gone. And she told us that she misses it. And that was a really hard thing to kind of explain. You don't need it anymore. This is a great thing. But it was such a part of her for her whole life that she really kind of mourned the loss of it, which we were not expecting at all. And still, still when she sneezes, we're a month out now. And when she sneezes, her cap used to fly off. And so now every single time she sneezes, she she goes like this uh-huh. to grab her cap, <laughs> but there's no cap there. And sometimes she'll laugh and sometimes she'll cry because she realizes uh-huh. that her cap's not there. But yeah, it's really been an interesting adjustment for all of us, not knowing how she would take it. And really, you know, there's no handbook out there for this. And that's what's been the most difficult part is I have a lot of, you know, elder trach parents to lean on in this and see how their kids handled it. But every kid handles things so differently that it's hard for us to know how to prepare for these things. Right. And I first want to say just a huge props and congratulations to you for all of her successes in regards to developmentally and just how well she's doing, because not only were you home with her all the time and you were her number one caretaker and her teacher and all of the things, but you also, as you mentioned previously, had to do a lot of that stuff on your own, especially during COVID. So I just want you to know like how fantastic I think you are and how amazing that is because it's hard. You know, it's really hard. And a lot of times when you're in it and you you don't know how you're doing, you don't know how your child's doing because you have nothing to compare it to, but you go to those appointments and they're like, wow, she's really doing well. Just, you know, it means so much yeah. to you as a parent. And you're like, oh, thank goodness, because yeah. you just don't know. Yeah. You you try your best and you do everything you can. But a lot of times, like I said, yeah. you just have nothing to compare it to. So and then also, yeah. I just think you bring up a good point, because again, we everybody, especially in the medical field, they're all worried about the medical component of her health. But there yeah. isn't, and I'm sure just in general, enough awareness or even help to guide kids like this with medically complex issues and needs that see a doctor every week, every couple of weeks. And, you know, it's heartbreaking because there's just no way to prepare parents and there's no way to prepare the child. And just as you said, every child's going to handle it differently, but it sounds like you guys are doing a great job. You're very aware of her emotions mm-hmm. and her needs. And, but yeah, it's just a good point to bring up that you just wish that there was a little bit more out there to support families through that. Yeah, we've worked pretty closely with child life during her inpatient stays. But once we leave those doors, child life doesn't follow us home. And that's what's difficult. We are actually next week starting play therapy with a therapist in town who um, has some experience working with kids with medical complexities. So we're really hoping that we can work with her to, to come up with some other ideas to support Lily because... Her anxiety is significant and it translates into some pretty significant sleep problems as well. So we've talked at length, Pat and I and and my parents, about how for the last four years we've been living in survival mode and Mm -hmm. everything we did was to keep her alive and to focus on these concrete outcomes of she needs to walk, she needs to eat, she needs to breathe. And we're at the point now where all of those things, not that they're resolved because they're always going to be, you know, ongoing, but they are not at the forefront of our like collective 
focus. Mm -hmm. We are in completely uncharted territory. And that territory is something, looking back, we could have never imagined that we couldn't have predicted. We had no idea if she would have the cognitive ability to understand what's happening to her. When we said, yeah, do another round of dart steroids, we were not thinking of her in first grade or in college. We just needed to keep her alive. Right. And now we're just starting to kind of approach and handle that like this like second phase of this life of medical life. And she's never been around other kids. We're going to start doing that. And her, you know, her social awareness and social skills are very different than a typical child of her age at this point, because she's only been around her adults her entire life and right. medical professionals her entire life. So yeah, we're just kind of treading in uncharted waters at this point. And it's, it's exciting, but it's, it's going to take some time. So. Right. And just as you and I were talking a bit off air, just we were catching up before we started recording just about how we were talking about our kids and how we just want to kind of wrap them in a plastic bubble. And so Mm -hmm. more for the emotional aspects, like you just, you know, you want to protect her and guide her and you just want to make sure I know I'll speak personally. I just, you know, you just want to make sure that nobody breaks their heart and that nobody puts them down or says that they're different. And it, as a mom, yes, it's like you have to be so encouraging, but at the same time, you have some of those internal fears that mm-hmm. God bless anybody that tries to like hurt my child. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing with Lily, too, is that she's always kind of been a tough broad. Like she always has stood up for herself. I mean, it's at home. It's with, you know, right. it's with me and, you know, kids act differently at home than they do out in public. But she had a will to live from day one. And it's now kind of translated into this spunkiness, like God help anyone that messes with her because <laughs> she'll, you know, she'll deal with it. This kid is now going to enter preschool with an ear to ear scar on her neck. And I'm terrified that somebody's going to say something, but we're going to work with her to say, you should see the other guy. Like, we, you know, I don't, we don't, it, she has these just physical representations of everything that she's been through. And my, my biggest concern at this point, yeah, is, is like you said, that, you know, somebody's going to break her heart and it's, it's really, really difficult. I could change a trach with my eyes closed, but I am not ready to be a parent in that traditional sense. Right. So it's crazy. Right. So speaking of being a parent, you since then, and you mentioned in the beginning, had little sweet Nolan. So if you want to share a little bit with us a little bit more about Nolan and then how everything, how your family life has transitioned with him being at home now. For sure. So Pat and I became unexpectedly pregnant, which was very exciting because we didn't think that could happen, which is how we ended up there. And Nolan was born in January. So I had, again, a very, you know, complicated pregnancy. After the girls were born, we found out that I have a series of three different clotting disorders. Mm -hmm. And so that was what was responsible for their early birth, autumn stillbirth. But it was treatable with prophylactic Lovenox. So I took Lovenox throughout pregnancy. I made it to 36 weeks and I actually ended up going into labor, which was not expected. (laughs) And my OB was not prepared for. So Nolan came, I'm the slightest bit early, but because of the Lovenox and I also had 
gestational diabetes. He was a little bit small and he had a little bit of a difficult time breathing. So he got to spend time with our family (laughs) in the NICU as well, just for a few weeks. And, you know, it really made me appreciate the experiences of families that were in the NICU around us while we were there. I would sit at Lily's Isolette and I would, it's an open unit. So I would look at the woman, you know, across the room who had, you know, a term baby or a, you know, 32 weeker and she was devastated being there. And I used to sit there and think like, you have no idea what this is like. (laughs) However, (laughs) having gone through this with a 36 weeker, not anticipating a NICU stay and having a NICU stay is its own ball of trauma. So I have since completely (laughs) reframed my NICU stay versus others. But he, he's just, he is a delightful human being. Not that my other children are not, they are, but he just is allowing us to experience parenthood in a way that is more typical and has not happened for us. So he is currently trying to crawl and he popped two teeth in the last few weeks and we are experiencing that joy exactly as we hoped to so he just has made our family complete and we just we love him he's a good little guy he's pretty adorable and it's funny because seeing pictures of him it I just so many times see Lily yeah. and you know they look so similar obviously with him him being a little guy and her being a little girl but it's funny how how similar in their they are in their features so just to close out is there anything else that you'd like to share with either families that are going through or considering or having to weigh the options of whether or not their baby in the NICU should get a trach or mm-hmm. if they are home with a baby with a trach or just anything any insight that you have that you want to share or even with your loss with Autumn and like I said you've been through a lot so we would take any advice that you have to share For sure So I would say To families who are currently in the NICU weighing that trach decision, it sounds like the most horrible decision you'll ever have to make for your child, when in reality, it is the best decision you can ever make for your child. We were able to bring her home and watch her accomplish things that just would not have been possible had we kept her in the hospital. And, you know, the few times we'd be out in public or or in the hospital or around other people um, and, you know, people would ask about her trach when she was trached. And, you know, I'd say, oh, she was just born early or explain a little bit about what our life has been like. We'd always get, I'm so sorry. That sounds so horrible. I'm so sorry. When in reality, it was what gave her life and it was what led to this thriving spunky little kid. I would not have changed that decision for anything because it made her who she is today. And I've spoken to so many other trach families who feel the exact same way. The decision in the moment sounds life-ending, but in reality, it's just the beginning. And we were living proof of that. To families who have their kids at home, adjusting to home life, 
know that you're not alone. And when you're sitting up at three o'clock in the morning, silencing a pulse ox, there is somebody across the country doing the exact same thing as you. And whether it's through your hospital, through the social worker in your hospital, whether it's online, like like with me, there's a community of people out there to lean on for support, for ideas of how to make your life easier, but know that there are so many other people who are going through this with you and always there to commiserate and to talk to. And lost families, man, (laughs) I would say obviously no one can prepare you to hear the words, you know, there's no heartbeat or similar. But if I could go back just the little bit of knowledge that I have now, ask the questions, ask for a social worker, a bereavement coordinator, ask for someone who has some sort of experience while you're there so that you know what your options are. That was our, yeah, again, our biggest, our biggest thing. We just, we didn't, we didn't have the ability to make those decisions for ourselves. And so we put it off and here we are. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that and all of your thoughts and what you've learned along the way. I know that was difficult, but I also know it is great advice and it will help so many other families. And and also just thank you so much for joining me today and for taking the time to sit down with us and to very openly share your family's story and especially everything about Lily and everything that she's been through. We just adore her and I'm so grateful to hear how well she's doing. And again, that is just huge props to you and Pat. And uh, again, congratulations on Nolan. And I don't know if you want to share with the listeners how they can get a hold of you or how they can follow Lily or your family. For sure. So we have, I run a pretty active Instagram account for Lily. It's at Lily's Little Lungs. And I am not posting as much anymore just because our life is pretty chaotic, but there are archives of examples of how we did home setup and we had her stroller set up and what we did in the car. And there are comments and information from so many other families on there as well so that you can get examples of how we did things. Um, Not that it's like the way to do it, but just that there are you know, other ways out there and uh, a little bit more about our life and our experience on there too. So I always answer messages. So happy to answer them if you have any more questions. Well, thank you, Jessica, so much. I really appreciate your vulnerability and your honesty and and you just taking the time to join us and please give Miss Lily a big hug and kiss from me and, and congratulations again to you and Pat on Nolan and we wish you nothing the best. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I want to sincerely thank Jessica again for taking the time amongst her very busy life to sit down with me and share so many intimate details about their journey. It is so fantastic to hear how well Lily is doing now, and I pray that she continues to thrive and to also heal emotionally after everything she's been through in her short four years. I hope other families were able to gain some value from hearing the Wolf family story As we all know, every baby is different, but it is always nice to be reminded that you are never alone in your journey. As Jessica mentioned, please lean on other similar families, perhaps a social worker or even a therapist for yourself and or your child. To contact Jessica or to follow their family's journey, 
Find them on Instagram at Lily's Little Lungs. And as she said, she's happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you all so much for listening. We truly hope that you have found our podcast helpful. For show notes and links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 38. Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear, so make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye.